Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board. Farm Credit Services of America, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, PIC North America, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Rota, and joining us today is CP Creek. How are you doing today, CP? Hi, Matthew. Well in yourself. Um, it's nice to talk to you and I'm looking forward to what we're going to discuss today. I'm excited to learn a little bit more about South African pork production and your story and background. You are very active on social media. Uh, it seems like you have pretty pretty impressive operations down there and uh, it's just the whole other side of the world. So I'm excited to kind of dive into that with you today. If you wouldn't mind by starting, uh, just telling us what you do today and what your operations look like. And then after that, we can dive a little bit into the history and, and journey from there. Yes. Um, Matthew, indeed, we've, I think we've got an interesting story and we always like to, to focus on the fact that, that we are in Africa because we want to be here. Yes, we were born here, but it's, it's also our choice um, to, to be in Africa and be involved in agriculture. And I think that, always sets the scene for a bigger discussion to follow. Um, yes, we we are based in South Africa in the Northwest province. Um, we've got a 2,300 sow commercial piggery from farrow to finish. And then we also have a 300 sow breeding site, which is a, a purebred nucleus farm. We are aligned with Genesis from Canada. And then we've got the supporting functions like a feed mill on farm and we've got a little organic side going where we try and make use of as much of the waste we generate to to raise a little cattle herd but to have pastures and we've got a pilot project going on uh, the production of sweet peppers which we use the manure on which is quite quite an exciting aspect and then we are also quite involved on the uh, systems and technology side of pig farming. For us, that really fits into our way of thinking to align technology with nature and the vision for pig farming going forward and how we can use everything that we generate and that we have to our disposal to the best of our means. So we like to approach a circular, circular economy where we don't waste anything. And it's it's never as easy as we want it to be. But that's that's what we're busy with and that's what we're aiming to achieve. So how did it all start? What is the history of the farm? Matthew, the farm was started in the in the mid-70s by my wife's family. And it's been in operation ever since supplying uh, abattoirs and processors in, in our area. We come from a different angle than most other farmers where we didn't go from one generation to the next. Um, but 
we both went to study and, and we are both industrial engineers. And, and that also formed our vision of the way we would like to do things. So while we were working, not that we are not working now, but while we were, while we were in the professional career, we got approached by my father-in-law and he, he wanted us to do a project on the farm to determine what's next and where to from where we were at that stage. So we came to the farm, we did a evaluation of the business processes of the business itself. We did an elaborate SWOT analysis. And by the time when we presented our findings to him, um, I think he had a very good idea from the beginning. And, and then he asked us or gave us opportunity to buy into the farm. Now, if you spend three, six months on a farm, on a pig farm, you quickly, you quickly get caught up in the operations. I, I always tell people pigs are so good to, to make you want to farm with them because as you get to know pigs and, and the process is in a pig farm, you quickly realize how, how scientific it is and how close it is to a industrial engineer's dream job. And that's why for us it was such a good fit because it's farming, it's livestock, it's people, it's processes. It's a manufacturing process of a living animal. And I think that was what really caught us. So we saw the opportunity that the farm can present. We saw the, the threats at that stage, the weaknesses that, that was there, which could be exploited. Now, again, for an industrial engineer, if you can give him a challenge of something that can be optimized or can be streamlined. I mean, that's just the best place to be. Yeah. So we took that bait and yeah, a few years later you realize, okay, but maybe that was, that was bait because pig farming is not always easy, but that, that's how we got into the farm. We, we bought the farm from, from the family. So that's also a different angle. And, and I think that's part of our success is that, Yes, it's a family-owned farm, but it is a corporate business. And we try to run it as a formal corporate business, although it is still family-owned. That also put us in a position where we could challenge the status quo and take what is good and what is working for us, but change or adapt what we thought could be streamlined or improved. And yes, 10, 11 years later, we are still here. And I think we made good progress and we were able to, to turn a ship over time. Remember, you don't change a big ship in, in a few months. Um, you've got people and workers that are involved and you need to manage that change carefully to make sure that you change direction, but you don't, <laughs> you don't rattle too many cages while doing that. <laughs> So what were some of those challenges and threats when you were going through that process of, of getting the business? What were, what were those hardest yes. things that hit you early on? So that's, that's a difficult question because you step into a business that's, that's being profitable for, for many years, that's been established, that is running smoothly. But once you get into the details, you realize that some some parts of it can be strengths and weaknesses. And while the business is running smoothly and making profit, you, you tend to become comfortable. And I think that also comes with 
the management style and, and let's say the age of ownership or the owners or the managers that you do get comfortable. So one of the things we realized is that we need to adapt because although it's been working for 30 years, it doesn't mean it will work for the next 30 years. So that was something we picked up quite quickly. To come into a industry as, as novices um, is challenging because you think you know a lot and you do know a lot, but not specific to the industry you're getting into. So that was a challenge. To remember in South Africa, we've got fairly big workforces. So we had a management team and we had workers that we need to get into, learn from them, work with them, but then realize at some point that it's going to change. So that was a challenge to, to win the trust of the, of the employees, to know that what they know at this point is much more than what you know. And you need to learn from them and do that in a way that you respect them, but that you can also be respected in the future. So that was, that was a challenge, very exciting challenges, but it was a challenge. Um, then another part of that is at some point, I think as any business reaches a certain maturity stage, there's those business cycles, Matthew, where you start up, you, there's rapid growth, there's constant consolidation. And at some point you reach comfort and we had to turn that around to go into a new cycle of growth and learn lessons and make mistakes. But it was either that or it was a slow progress into a larger comfort zone that, that might be detrimental to the future of the business. Very interesting. How many people do you have running your operations? If we look at round numbers, We've got about 10 people on our management staff and, and 100 um, laborers. So it okay. sounds massive in world terms. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we, we're in Africa. We have a huge unemployment rate. Um, our, our labor expenses are, are fairly low compared to the rest of the world. But the, the number of people you employ changes those scales again to, to a point where our labor cost is very similar to the rest of the world. But the laborers we employ include the support staff and there's, there's people working inside the piggery, outside the piggery. Um, it's a lot going on, 100 people. There, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. We also, we also use, use the people to achieve things that might not otherwise be possible to achieve. Um, where I do think we can go a bit further in terms of individual traceability of animals, individual weighing, um, giving care to individual pigs and not necessarily to batches, um, do a few other outside projects and, and take care of the environment just because the physical labor and the people are available and willing and, and, mostly very good at what they do. I think that's something we tend to, to forget is that our workers are, are here to make a life for themselves and are here to contribute to the business. And if those two things work well together, you create quite good partnerships with, with the labor. So in South Africa, 
you're saying labor is a little cheaper because of a high unemployment rate. Does that change retention much at all? Is are people mm-hmm. coming and going, coming and going, or are people coming and staying because the unemployment rate is so high? So a lot of things contribute to that. So the, the unemployment okay. rate is high because our econo- economy is under a lot of strain, but mm-hmm. you also have a fairly low level of education. So unfortunately, we still have a lot of people in, in working age that are not well-educated, so which can be classified as unskilled labor, um, yeah. which contributes to the lower wages. Um, part of that is also sometimes lower production out of, out of the laborers. But what we, what we do see is that people are really grateful to be employed. So the retention rate is, is fairly good because once people have a job, they, they would like to keep it. Um, but we are also quite strict on our standards and on our rules and regulations. So very often the, the retention rate is a contribution of both employee and employer. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so sometimes you need to be strict on the rules and, and, and keep to your standards. And then unfortunately people can be dismissed, but then also you have cases where, where people um, resign or stop coming to work and, and, and they just, um, you know, they just don't pitch up the next day for whatever reason. So we try to fix the retention or, improve the retention rate by having a much stringent, much more stringent appointment and induction and training process. So instead of having someone joining the workforce and then leaving, we try to do a better screening and a bit of training and educate and upskill them so that we can have a higher retention rate. At the end of the day in South Africa, you're so aware of your surroundings or, or we are the environment in which we operate the the social standing of the community around you that we really like to keep our workers employed and we would like to improve the family's quality of life um, yeah and we often say once you are part of the Taiwash team you we want you to stay here and we want to improve your life within means i mean we can't we can't uplift everybody yeah. um, but we try our best to. <laughs> so before we hopped on the call, you were actually talking about how in South Africa, it is normal for just about everybody to take an entire month off for holiday. Can you talk about what that's like? Because that's very different. And can you talk about yes. how how many of those 100 team members go away for a month? Mm-hmm. And and how do you manage through that? And then uh, you could also include uh, growing up. What was your perspective of of all of the the Christmas films mm-hmm. and the Christmas tradition? <laughs> snowy when it's middle of the summer for you. Yes. So that that counts for everybody except farmers. Um, so so that's one of the first lessons you learn when you grow up on a farm is that when everybody else goes on holiday, um, that's that's mostly the peak time of your, of your year in terms of workload. So in South Africa, our, our summer holiday period is, is over the Christmas period. And for three to four weeks, 
um, it's it's almost a national shutdown, um, especially when it comes to 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 heavy industries and construction, transport, um, which which is a great time for migrating workers to go back to their families, which might be further uh, from their workplaces, and and a lot of people take two, three, four weeks off. And, and businesses close down, which makes it difficult for a farmer that continues working to get everything on the farm. So for us, it's always a big challenge to make sure whatever you don't have on the farm by Christmas, you're probably not going to have on farm until the second week in Jan. Um, oh. So we need we need to make sure feed is, um, or the raw materials are ready, medicines are there. Um, if you have breakdowns, you need to have two or three backups in store because sometimes the workshops are not open or they close for a few days. And that's quite challenging, but also exciting. I think we kind of live for, for that period of the year because although it is challenging, it's also the time where poor consumption peaks. So everybody or the rest of the country who's not farmers or, or in, in emergency services or critical um, areas are on holiday and they eat bacon and gammons and they enjoy themselves. So our, our product flows quite well, which means our prices are normally better in December than the rest of the year. But it is challenging, but with that, you've got the whole Christmas and New Year's spirit and holiday spirit in the whole country. Um, speaking for myself, we although we work throughout that period, we try to spend a bit more time with our families and where we can um, like, I want to call it a slow day. You still still work. Everything needs to be done. The, the big work needs to happen, but where we can include the kids in, in our operations and um, the managers might exchange weekends to, to be off. We, we don't allow holiday in that period because it's so critical for us to be hands-on, but we do have our holidays a bit slower. Growing up as as a kid with, with all the Christmas cards and films and everything being in full winter gear in snow and, and you sitting on a farm in, in high heat <laughs> working working the fields, um, it doesn't really make sense, but but that's also a good lesson in what happens in the rest of the world. And I think that's what makes South Africa and Africa again so resilient is that we very soon realized that, I don't want to say we don't have life as easy, but we do realize that we are different and we need to work and think in a different way to be successful. If you, if you look at big production, for example, what works in the middle of Europe doesn't necessarily work in the middle of Africa. And mm-hmm. that you learn quite from a quite young age. Um, so yeah, it's challenging. December December is a very challenging period for us, but it's also very exciting, and it's time of yeah, you know, poor consumption and family and friends, if I can call it that. So, what about uh, the Santa Claus aspect? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was funny. That, that, that is quite funny, and and they, you know, there's been a few um, uh, African spins on it, but. You know, we we made it to adapt to our environment. So um, in the olden days, you would have a Santa Claus on a donkey cart coming down a dirt road, um, still dressed in full winter gear, but but he's on a donkey cart and not on a on a sleigh. Um, the the Santa Claus on our farm recently was on a quad bike driving around, 
And we also had Santa Claus running away from the security guard um, being chased down a dirt road. So we make it work <laughs> and we adapt and we enjoy it. Um, but yeah, it's a bit different than what you guys might, might experience. That's hilarious. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit about pork production in South Africa? What does, what does the industry look like? Is the industry doing well? Is it currently going through a hard time? Um, is 2,300 sows big for a farm in South Africa? Just a little bit of uh, the overview there would be awesome. Yes, Matthew, I think we, we realized that the South African pork industry is fairly small in world standards. So give or take, we've got about 140,000 sows in production in South Africa. So that immediately gives you the, the size comparison of a 2,300 sow unit on a 140,000 yeah. sow national herd. So yes, our farm is, is big in, in South African standards. We traditionally, we are not a pork eating country and, and a lot of our cultures are not pork eating cultures, which puts a, I want to say a cultural limit on the per capita consumption, which is probably one of our biggest challenges in South Africa, why we haven't seen much bigger growth on the consumption. So although, although we've got a lot of European descendants in, in the country, um, it just hasn't taken off as you would have seen in Europe. Our per capita consumption is is just below six kilogram per person per year, which is which is fairly low compared to the rest of the world. Um, we is love that our due beef. to like religious culture or other culture? Mostly religious. Yes. Okay. Yes. Mostly religious. So although a large portion of the country is Christian, um, a large portion of that is, I want to say conservative Christian or Old Testament Christian, so they they don't necessarily eat or um, enjoy pork, which yeah, okay. is it, it's challenging to overcome that. But then there's also the cultural or traditional uh, beliefs or perceptions um, that that's quite difficult to overcome, which is not anything to do with religion, but just you need to overcook pork. You can't eat raw pork. Oh, okay. You can't eat pork meat at all. And that is that is challenging. So we've got a fairly small industry. We are seeing much higher rate of integration in the pork industry where farmers or, or farmer groups own the, the processes and packers, own the genetic companies. So there's, there's a few groups in South Africa that, that are integrated. And I think that also changed the pork industry over the past 10 to 15 years, which makes it exciting, but also difficult. The South African pig farmer has gone through a tremendous difficult period the last 18 to 24 months, similar to the rest of the world. And it's simple, simply because of a lower pork price and a higher feed price. Maize yeah. and soya beans yeah. has been expensive especially since what happened in, in Russia and Ukraine in the 2022 period. So apart from that, you've got your normal cycles, normal pig price and, and feed cycles. But I think the last two years has been very, very difficult compared to the previous 40, 50 years. We've lost about 
10, 12, 15% of our producers in terms of sound numbers over the last 18 months. So we've seen that. What we've also seen is the, the farms that remained almost took up a portion of that production by being more efficient. So in difficult times like this, we are all forced to reevaluate what we are doing and to go back to the drawing board. And, and I always say we want to we want to say let's go back to basics, but often the basics are not good enough anymore. So we need to go back to the drawing board and we need to reevaluate what we do, but we can't necessarily go back to the basics because the basics worked 40 years ago. So, and, and I say it with respect, the basics of pig farming is still very similar, but we need to be more creative and more adaptive than just doing the basics. So it's been difficult. It's tough for, for us, for our farm, it's been difficult. We had to put a few expansion projects on hold and just you know, um, be more conservative, allocate the cash and attention and time where it's needed to improve our production, cut costs, be more efficient. And then hopefully once we are through this cycle, we will continue with our larger projects and, and vision. Appreciate you sharing that. Now, I, I typically ask a few off-the-wall questions during podcasts, and I think the first one is be interesting. So, sports. Do you like sports? And if so, what is your team that you root for? So, yes, I like sports, but I also don't necessarily like the traditional sports. So... I've played rugby on, in, in school, so that's been my traditional sport there. I support the, the Free State Province team and obviously the Springboks. But then I also like trail running and rock climbing, um, a bit of kayaking. So hiking is obviously the, the basis for that. But I'm much more into adrenaline sports. Um, so there's not, a, there's not a team to support other than um, the South African trail runners and rock climbers doing their thing on the international court. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, what is your go to dish of pork? What's your favorite cut? What's your favorite way of cooking it? So, my favorite cut is actually a, a pork belly, although I'm not really good at cooking it. So, <laughs> I really like it, but I sometimes stuff it up when I make it myself. So, so my go to is a, a, a pork chop on the braai, which is which is open fire barbecue. Um, when we okay. have friends over, we've got family over, that is our, that's what we put out is, is we, we put out the pork chops and we brag about the good meat to fat ratio. And then it becomes a learning experience on why pork is not fat and why it is healthy and marbling. And so that's a good conversation starter. It's really nice. And, and it brings the social aspect to it because we, we get around the the braai and 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 we talk and have a drink and enjoy pork. So yes, I, I love a billy, but pork chops on the braai is my go-to. What's on your bucket list for the next place you're wanting to travel? Well, remember I told you just now the the, the period the pork um, producers came out of <laughs> in the yeah. last eighteen to twenty-four months. So um, so travel plans has been extended. But I would really like to travel to the northern part of Italy. That's that's on on our bucket list. Okay. Uh, 
And, and that's for several reasons, but the northern part of Italy, I would really like to go and see and experience the, the poor culture, the mountains, and the adventure side with that. If you could have a beer or, or a dinner with a historical figure, who would it be? Sure. That is, again, a very, very good question. <laughs> it's um, a tough one. It, it is often a very nice one. And, and I think there's, there's few. Um, some of it are very stereotypical, but I would like to have a, a beer with, with Nelson Mandela. And just, you know, we, we grew up in apartheid South Africa and we always had a very different view of what, what's going on. So I would, I would really like to have a sit down with him and, and, and hear his side of the story. Although we have, we have learned it from, from our colleagues and, and workers and friends, um, I would like to have a, a chat with him and also ask him why, how he got it right to, to make this great transition in our country. So that would definitely be, be one. And then some, something much more simpler is I would, I would like to go and speak to preferably someone in my family, but I always want to know how did this area look like the day the first person set foot here? So whoever that was. Yeah. I would, I would like to have a long beer with him and just ask, how did it look like when you got here? Why did you, why did you decide to settle here? What, when, when, I, when I travel and like in country, when I get to a new city or a new area, a new point of interest, I always think to myself, how did this look like? Why did they choose to settle here? Um, where were the animals roaming? Where were the streams? Um, so I don't know who that person is, but I would like to have a sit down with the guy that first set foot on my farm yeah. and ask him why, what happened here? How did it start? I mean, yeah. And then you're in a very beautiful part of South Africa, if I'm not wrong. And you've got the Savannah or yeah, you've just a very beautiful part, but there's also a lot of predators as well to, if I'm not wrong. So it would be an interesting decision on where to settle and, and why. And, Yes. And, and having discussions with my family, um, you know, it was always around waterways, you know, and where there were found natural fountains and good grazing for animals and, and shelter and things like that. But it was, it was tough out there. I mean, it's, it's similar to most of, of the countries, but which were founded. I mean, we had, we had native people that, that were here and they were roaming around and, you know, that's, that's all different ball game. So, um, yeah. but it was, it was tough out here and it's beautiful and, We've still got that little wild Africa going around us. And, and we try to preserve that. I mean, it's not like the lions are walking around our big farm. I mean, that's not like that. But we've, we've got smaller predators and smaller wildlife, and we appreciate it. It's, it's nice to have it around. And the, uh, the indigenous people to your region, they were the Zulu, right? Um, not, not in our area. Not in your that province? Is not in our province. Um, our people are the, the, the Tswana people, um, which is from here to Botswana. Um, and then, then we've got um, a lot of indigenous people come, that migrated within South Africa and Africa as well. But, but our people were Tswana. I thought I was going to make my past history teachers proud there, but... <laughs> close, close. <laughs> close. So my last question for you is, what is a golden nugget, a bit of life wisdom that you've picked up along the way that you could share back with listeners? 
Matthew, as you as you grow up, and I don't want to say get older because we're still young, but but as you grow up, you you learn so many things. But probably the the golden nugget, and I need to bring it a bit to farming as well, is to be adaptive and flexible, and and to be able to live in a very unpredictable world. So as as an individual, I, I used to not be very adaptive or very flexible. I was um, I was quite set in my ways. Um, so my managers might laugh at me when they hear this now because they still experience it sometimes. Um, but I had to learn to be adaptive and to roll with the punches and to not to not sit and be sad about what didn't happen or to worry about what could have, but to. I've got this little story where, especially when it goes really tough on the farm, you know, and, and business wise, and I have my coffee and I step out, I've got a little balcony in my, in my home office and I step out with my mug of coffee and I smell my coffee and I smell Africa and I smell the soil and I smell the big manure. Then it literally hits you. And then you realize, but there's something bigger than myself. Um, I need to pull up my socks and I need to get going because there's much more depending on me than just myself and my family. And you can only do that by being adaptive and creative and say, but let's, let's take the day and let's make the best of this. It could have been something else. It would have been something different. It could have been easier, but it's not. It's life. It's farming. This is Africa. We need to make it work. And I think that's my, that's my nugget. Be adaptive, be creative and flexible. I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm really grateful to have you as a guest on the podcast. Matthew, it was, it was an honor. And I, I really hope I was able to, to share a bit of what we do and, and what we like and, and who we are. And yeah, thanks, thanks for the opportunity and looking forward to the next one. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.